Do you think Easter Sunday was like it was today? When you got up, the sun was shining. Everything was marvellous. The birds were singing. Yeah, it could have been, couldn't it? Or it could have been chucking it down with rain. But I don't picture it like that. I picture it just like today. Easter Sunday. A cloud in the sky, maybe. But really blue skies and just sort of something different that was happening. Everything has changed because of Easter Sunday. Everything. And that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. But first of all, I've got a question for you. You might know the answer, but not to fill you with trepidation and for you to think, I won't even bother thinking about it then. You probably won't know the answer. (laughs) On Saturday, the 20th of March, 1982, a big event occurred. Go on. What might this big event be? Royal Wedding. Wedding. I think that was uh, July 1981. Yeah. Okay, shall I give you a clue? It's not these two things, because they're nearby, but, wow, the space shuttle, I love the space shuttle. So, if you were alive then, does it help you? No? Not at all? Okay, I'll tell you. I got my first job. (laughs) Now, didn't I say that you probably wouldn't get it? Yeah. It was working in a decorator's place. It was called Gay Decor. And I don't think you call it like that now, but, but, <laughs> but in the 70s and the early 80s, Gay Decor was the place to be in Atherston, because that's where I grew up. And it, it sold all the decorating supplies that you wanted, the wallpaper and the paint and all sorts of things. And on this date, the proprietor, who I knew from church in St. Mary's uh, in Atherston, he rang me up and said, oh, I need someone to come along and help me shift some paint around. So I went. I had a really good time. I wrote down in my diary, because I still got my diary from 1982, and it said I was there from 9, 9.30 till 12 o'clock in the morning. Do you want to guess how much I earned? Three pounds. Oh, I was well chuffed. That was a great amount of money. In 1982, three pounds I earned for two and a half hours' work. Lovely. And then I got more of a regular job with him. Uh, It was Saturdays, nine o'clock till one o'clock, two o'clock till 5.30. This is all in my diary. And then I did two afternoons a week, 4.30 till 5.30. So that was after school. Um, I got 10 pounds a week for doing that. Well chuffed again. And it always came in an envelope. Oh, isn't that brilliant? Do you remember your first job? Like, you don't need to tell us, but do you remember and how much money you might have earned the first few times you did something? Maybe it might have been less than three pounds if we're going back to the 1960s or 1970s or something. Yeah. So all of us, perhaps, have either had a job or want a job or, you know, we're sort of thinking about that. But if we've had a job, we want to be paid the right amount for our services, don't we? When we work, all of us want to get paid the amount we feel we deserve or merit, depending on our age, our abilities, any previous appropriate study, any relevant experience, the surroundings where it occurs. So if it's a dangerous job, you want to, like, 
in a school. <laughs> you, you want to sort of have more money because of that, don't you? So it depends on what you're doing as to how much you think you should got paid. Is that true? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Okay, now, here's a Greek word. Some of you will know it. Opsonia. It's really two Greek words in one. It's meaning meet and purchase. Two Greek words. And so what we get, it's like the ration money that was paid to soldiers. Because they had their meat and sort of they were given the money to make sure they could have the meat that they needed, as well as bread and a bit of nuts or fruit or whatever it might be. And so that was their fitting compensation or the wages that they had. Now, there is a verse in the Bible that uses this word. You might be familiar with it. It's from Romans 6, 23. And the first part of that verse says this. Sin pays its servants. The question is, you know, we had that chart saying our age, our abilities and our study and our relevant experience. Well, let me say something that probably all of you remember. We've all got lots of experience of sinning. We're all really good at it, aren't we? Our age, whatever our age, we're pretty good at sinning. But the thing is, the Bible doesn't just say sin pays its servants. It tells us what the payment is. The wage is death. Sin pays its servants. The wage is death. As we sin, as we let sin rule over us, so what we deserve is death. Now, death isn't annihilation. Death is eternal separation from God. Now, in February, I was a bit ill, really. My feet were all swollen, and often I was feeling really cold, so I'd have to have four coats on and a couple of scarves and that because I was really cold during the day. But that, and it was terrible. I didn't like it at all. I was ill, and I don't get ill that often. But that lasted a month, and I didn't like it at all. Eternal separation, forever, without an end. I bet we've passed people today where sin pays its servants, they're the servants, and the wage is death. We've passed them. But the verse tells us a little bit more. It doesn't just stop about there. It says this. This is from the Amplified this time. For the wages of sin is death. But the bountiful free gift of God, that is, his remarkable, overwhelming gift of grace to believers, is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's an excellent news, isn't it? It's a free gift for us. But it wasn't a free gift to God. Only God could sort out the problem of sin. And it cost him everything. It's our free gift. But for God, the sacrifice that he made was terrible. 
Jesus came on a mission to earth, didn't he? He came so that he would die on a cross. A terrible death. He wasn't just wearing fancy dress when he had a crown on his head. A crown of thorns. Jesus was in agony. Jesus was in great pain. Not just because of the nails in his wrists and his feet and trying to breathe on the cross. But do you remember how one of the things he said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't just a physical pain. God turned his face away from his son because Jesus was taking the penalty for my sin, for your sin, for everybody's sin. Jesus died for us. Not an easy death physically, and definitely not an easy death spiritually. And he died for us because he loves us. He wanted us to have this free gift, but not free to him. He wanted us to live again, to be new creations. There's a German uh, theologian called Wolfhart Pannenberg, and he said this, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it is a very unusual event, definitely. Second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. If we're saying to God, rule my life, we have to let him rule our lives. It's simple. If we're saying, God, you are my Lord, we have to give him the lordship of our lives. It's simple. If we're saying to God, I will follow you no matter what, then we do that, don't we? We go where he tells us to go, whether it's Vancouver or this country or somewhere else. We go where he tells us because it's simple. We obey. We do what he says. I wonder if my life is still a reflection of what God is saying to me. Or when I prayed the sort of first time, Lord, come into my life, 36 years ago that was, is my life different now to how it was then? Or did I just pray a prayer and then forget about God and forget about him most of the time? We have to continually change. Now, a couple of months ago, we had a big birthday in our house. We had balloons, we had decorations, we had, it was Ruben's uh, 18th birthday. And so we printed out lots of photos, all of about different memorable events that he'd done. We had, went out for a meal, made a cake. It was brilliant. And the thing was, part of these decorations was a big balloon. And you know the sort of thing where it just floats into the sky. Jill and I saw one in Asda of a unicorn on the roof. Well, not on the roof, but on the ceiling. 
uh, when we were there on, on uh, whatever day it was this week, and we looked up, and there it was, this unicorn helium balloon that someone must have cried a lot about, I was thinking. But we needed a weight. Now, I was wondering what that balloon is like two months later. I've got it here. So we needed a weight to keep it down. You don't need a weight anymore. And the thing is this. It was great two months ago when it was fresh and it was new and the lady in the shop had just put all this helium in. But there's a problem now. If you wanted to come to a birthday party and the balloons and the decorations were like this, you'd think you didn't go to much effort, would you? And the reason is, I've done nothing with a balloon for two months. I've just let it just be itself. I've done nothing at all. So now, instead of it floating, it just... Goes to the ground. That's not a balloon really anymore, is it? I did nothing about it, and so that's how it is. I've got a question for some botanists. I know there are some botanists here. It's multiple choice, so it's not really just for botanists, it's for anyone really, but those who are qualified botanists with years of experience will know the answer. But everyone else will too. Does spending a morning sorting out your borders keep the weeds away for forever, for the rest of the summer, for one week exactly, for an hour when you notice you've missed some? No, it doesn't keep them away. It's a perpetual activity. What's the answer? Perpetual activity. Perpetual activity. Oh, that's interesting. So if you want to keep your garden weed-free, whether it's a massive garden or a smaller garden, you've got to make some effort, have you? You've got to do something about it on a regular basis. Now, most of the time, I do make a physical effort. That is me, and it is a false beard. Uh, but I do like go to the hairdressers every six weeks. I do wash myself daily. <laughs> I do have a shave regularly, and things are looking good with that, generally speaking. You may not sort of uh, always think so, but yes, I make an effort. Here's the question I want you to think about. How, what have you done recently to keep yourself spiritually fit? I have made no effort. If Jill or I didn't make any effort in our garden it would be very weedy. But we do make an effort, fairly regularly, sometimes. And so, the weeds are kept at bay. But in our lives, what are our lives doing? Are we keeping ourselves spiritually fit? Are we ready for eternal life? Or are we just letting sin rule our lives, get in to our lives? Sometimes people give me feedback on the talks that we have. That's marvellous. Keep it coming. But 
They might say, oh, I was challenged today, or I was really encouraged today, or that taught me something new today. But even though that's brilliant, we can't just stop by saying, oh yeah, I was encouraged today, thanks John, or thanks whoever was speaking. We have to take action, spiritually, for our lives. On the front of the Onward magazine, there's some great uh, verses from the Bible. Like I've said before, we could put any verses on the Bible, on the front, and they'd all be great, wouldn't they? But this is what it says here. When the time was right, this is Romans 5, 6 to 8 from the voice translation. When the time was right, the anointed one died for all of us who were far from God. That's all of us. Powerless and weak, that's all of us as well. Now it is rare to find someone willing to die for an upright person, although it's possible that someone may give up his life for one who is truly good. But think about this. While we were wasting our lives in sin, God revealed his powerful love to us in a tangible display. The anointed one died for us. Remember, he died for us. He died an agonizing death. Not so that our life could change once when we give our lives to God, but that our lives could change regularly as we listen to him and put him first and give him the priority in our lives. Here's another verse, uh, set of verses from Ephesians. This is talking about God's love for us, the type of love he has for us. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that, that, I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything you know, far more than you can ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. And that's what we want to pray for each other, and for ourselves, and for our families, that God would touch us deeply, gently, strongly, so that his love will continue to change us. Salvation is God doing something that we can't do ourselves. And we've all got to accept his powerful love on a daily basis. Let's just think about one more scripture. You'll probably know this very well too. Matthew 11 from the message as well. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Sin is enticing. Sin makes, us, makes claims that it can't 
well, it can't sort of have, can it? Sin says, oh, do this and you'll have fun. Do this and it'll be great. But often when we sin, it just makes us feel bad. It just makes us wish we hadn't done whatever we did. Whereas God is saying, come and be with me. Come and listen. Come and walk hand in hand with me, arm in arm. Let me give you a piggyback sometimes, he might be saying. Because he wants us to live freely and lightly in our lives. There was 18 of us on Friday that came to watch Risen here. We had a great time, great film and then communion afterwards. But it's the strap line that really is important. It says, witness the manhunt that changed the course of human history. And it's Jesus, his death, his resurrection that changed the course of human history. Nothing has ever been like that. Nothing will ever be like that again. His death and resurrection has changed everything. And as we accept him on a daily basis for him to be our Lord and our Saviour, so we can say, yes, Lord, you are changing me. You are doing something new. I accept you in my life again. Everything has changed. Earlier, we were saying that sometimes people will say, oh, I've been encouraged this morning, or I've been challenged this morning. And that's great. But we need to take action. Let's just look at some easy actions we could do. We could pray with someone regularly. Now, recently, over the last few months, I've been praying with Paul. And that's been really good. It's been super, because... Our relationship is deepening. And that's a real good thing for the church and just for our friendship and relationship. Maybe God is saying to, to you that there's someone that you could be praying with. Maybe just once a week or once a fortnight. But something's going to happen in your heart as you just share your life with someone. As you say to someone, I've got struggles. I've got things that aren't always easy as we're honest with maybe one or two people. So God can change us and help us as we step out and just say, Lord, I need you. Here's another one. Monday night house group. You'll remember that we said earlier, the Bible course is starting early in May. If you don't come on a Monday night, which is only fortnightly, come along. It's going to be really interesting because you don't just have to sort of uh, stay at home and read a book, watch a telly, or do the washing up. Get someone else to do the washing up. Come along and read the Bible. Get to know the Bible together. How about this? Wednesday night prayer group, fortnightly again. I haven't been to Wednesday night prayer group, I'm being honest, for ages because I work on a Wednesday night. But if you haven't been, why don't you go along? I wonder what happens. I wonder what you pray about. I wonder who else goes. Is it this week? Yeah. This Wednesday, 8 o'clock? Why don't you go along? Your eyes might be opened. If you haven't been for ages, go this time and just get into what God's doing in the life of the church here and in the life of other people. What about the Thursday afternoon group? That's really good. It's fortnightly again, isn't it? So, again, it's not like a weekly commitment. It's just fortnightly. So if you want to go along, 
that's great. You'll read the Bible a bit, get to know God, pray a bit, have a chat a bit, and just get to know other people. What about one more? I like having a cup of coffee. Why don't you come for a cup of coffee with me and make a suggestion about something that NCF isn't doing at the moment, and you think, ah, if we only did this, this would be a really good thing for evangelism or for what the life of discipleship in the church. Come and tell me. We'll have a good cup of coffee, a good chat about it, and something will happen. Because if you've got ideas, we want to hear about it, don't we? What about coming on a Sunday evening? Again, it's only twice a month. Maybe you've never been on a Sunday evening before. It's been good in the past when Paul's been doing it, and it's changed a bit now, so it's still good, but good differently. For example, tonight, we've got a testimony from Hyungjin, and he's going to tell us, hopefully within four minutes, eh, Hyungjin? (laughs) Wink, wink. Five minutes, okay, five minutes, okay. Hopefully within five minutes, he's going to be saying a, a little bit about his story, about what God's done in his life. Sounds interesting. I'm going to be there. Well, I've definitely got to be there because I'm, I'm speaking and I'm playing and I'm doing everything else apart from Hyung Jin doing his testimony and the people doing the reading. Come along. If you don't know what it's like, come and see what it's like. It'll be excellent. Don't be content with your status quo. Don't be content with the way things are now. If God is prodding and encouraging and wooing and sort of saying, come this way, don't just think, yeah, I've been doing it like this for 20 years or five years or six months. That's fine. If God is saying, come on, I love you. I want you to be with me. Then isn't the best thing to say, I'm coming, Lord. I'm here. Wherever you go, I'm going to be there. Don't make excuses. I said flippantly earlier about washing up. And I know you've got to wash up. Everyone's got things they need to do, haven't they? But sometimes doing God's things is more important. And we just have to make time to do the things that God is calling us to do. Do not compare yourself with someone else. So maybe they don't go to a meeting. So that doesn't mean you don't have to. Maybe they don't pray so much or read their Bible so much or fellowship with other people so much. That could mean that you could be an encouragement to them to say, come on, let's pray together. Let's read the Bible together. Go and meet with them downtown somewhere and just pray out out loud together by Sainsbury's or by Asda or by the fountain. It doesn't take a big crowd of people to just do evangelism or be missionaries. We can be missionaries anywhere we like, just like we were hearing last week. And we heard this morning as well. We're all missionaries, aren't we? We have to take action. So there's lots of things we shouldn't be doing, but all of us need to take action. As God says things to us, we want to follow what he says, because this is very serious. Our spiritual lives are important. Some people go to the gym and keep fit on a regular basis because they feel their physical well-being is really important. And it is, of course. But our spiritual well-being is really, 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 really important. God is saying, this is serious. Let's go for it, he's saying. 
He wants us to impersonate him, to copy him, to be like him. And sometimes perhaps God says, come and stand in my shoes. Come and be with me. Come and be near me. I love being with you, he says. All I want to do is love you. But that might be a challenge. It's not an easy love, is it? As we know from talking about the resurrection earlier. We've heard this quote many a time as well. William Temple. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. And so we want to say to God, Lord, as I hear the challenge and rise up and do things your way, Lord, help me to listen, help me to pray, help me to do, to be the person, the disciple that you want me to be. God's grace is free. And we don't have to work to gain salvation. We all know that. But we do work because we've been given salvation. Many of us have made a decision to follow God. And we need to ask ourselves, is that decision still a priority in our lives? Are we, wherever our circumstances, we might be sort of doing wonderful things on the outside, but on the inner level, on our heart level, what's our heart doing now? Are we the same as we were six months ago, a year ago, when, or five years ago, when we were saying, yes, Lord, I trust you, I want to follow you? Or as things simmered down a little bit, God wants us to know him, to follow him. So everything has changed. But my question for you today is, on the Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, what is changing in your life? Jesus has done the big macro things, the big things of changing the world, of dying for us of changing human history. What we have to do is the small micro things and say, Lord, I'm taking your hand. I'm going where you want me to go. Whatever the cost, whatever the situation will be, you've died for me. You gave you all for me. I have decided to follow Jesus and there's no turning back because you are my Lord and Saviour, not just five or ten years ago, but today. So we're going to pray, and then Jill's going to help us respond and lead us in worship as well. So Lord, we do thank you for the beauty, the wonderfulness, Lord, of Easter morning. And Lord, we do remember the heartache, the turmoil, the terribleness of having to die for us, to take our penalty of sin. Thank you, Lord, that even though our, our, the wages of sin is death, and that was what we deserved, Lord, you took that penalty and you've changed our lives. So, Lord, we ask you today, will you speak to us again in that still, small voice so we can hear clearly what you're saying and help us to follow you wherever you lead us, whenever you take us, Lord. We will follow you. Amen.